Blog Talk Radio. legendary airline, we hope you will understand how former Eastern people love to talk about their beloved Eastern Airlines. And folks from all over the world listen to our Eastern Airlines radio show, now on the air for nearly 10 years. Thanks for Cyber Radio, we can identify over 50 countries on nearly every continent. So here we are again, talking about our favorite way to fly, Eastern Airlines. We can truly say we are the radio voice of Eastern. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and along with hosts from many different areas in the U.S., we say welcome to our Eastern world. Don Gagnon is our announcer tonight, and in the absence of Chuck Albright, Don, how about taking it from here, and let's get the show in the air. Don? Oh, very good. Thank you, Neil, and hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, we're glad you're with us for more Eastern talk, news, and information. My name is Don Gagnon, and I'm talking to you over uh, taking over the duties of our regular announcer for the next few weeks. I'm coming to you live from the Villages, Florida. Our producer, Captain Neal, is in St. Augustine, and our show hosts are scattered all over the country. Captain Jim and Carrie Holder live in Atlanta area. Captain Mike Scott in the New York area, out around Long Island, as is Captain George Jen. Colleen DeFleece is in Wesley Chapel, Florida. That's just a little north of Tampa. And Dorothy Gagnon, my lovely wife, is with me here in the villages. Thanks, Mark, Mark Porter, he's our go-to guy for the new Eastern 3.0. And he lives in the Miami area. Uh, if I've forgotten anybody, Mr. Producer, please let me know. From all of our hosts, welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show over the past nine-plus years. We have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk to us on the air, live, every Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Many of our listeners choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com. Dot com, or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Now remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to call in our call, on, call number at 213 213- 816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Let me repeat that number for you so you can write it down. It's uh, 213-816-1611. And by the way, tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing 
We're now up to 1,042 Eastern family and friends. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 460 Monday night radio broadcast and 100-plus Thursday broadcast by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. And scrolling down through the archives of broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. We're nearing 600 episodes now, and all because of listeners like you wanting to talk about Eastern Airlines. I see our our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask that you please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises, such as dogs barking, slamming doors, ice cubes and beverages, ringing phones, etc. That's why we put the mute phone, that's why they put the mute phone features on your phone. Well, now I see it's uh, time for us to take off, so Captain, let's get flight number 461 in the air. Eastern 461, you're clear to go. Wind 10024, runway 13 right, clip, take off. Roger, we're on the roll. You're in one of Eastern's whisper jets. The noisiest section is the pilot's compartment. We keep the door closed. In the cabin, it's quiet. The jets and the noise are behind you. The Whisper Jet climbs to smooth cruising altitude faster than any other jet airliner. It's the most relaxing plane there is. Fly Eastern. See how much better an airline can be. Okay, to start off our program, uh, two days ago on June 6, 1944, 150,000 soldiers from the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. invaded Normandy to begin liberation of Europe from Nazi and fascist occupation. The Eastern Airlines radio show tries to give credit and coverage to our military forces whenever we can on our broadcast. So many so many gave their, their all in protecting the freedoms in this nation and for those around and for those around the world so we are prefacing our show tonight with these thoughts shared by our regular host from this remarkable event that changed the course of history jim although the allied forces eventually liberated the coast of german control the day was chaotic and bloody with fierce weather adding to the difficulties the loss of life among the Allies is thought to be around 9,000, with around 4,000 on the German side. Some 200,000 Germans were captured as prisoners of war. Responses to D-Day at the time veered from patriotic optimism to stark pragmatism, following reports of a long, long day of battle. Here are seven moving quotes from journalists, soldiers, and historians. They'll help paint the picture of the historic events of June 6, 1944. That's 76 years ago. Don? General Dwight Eisenhower in a message to troops before Normandy. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. We will fight savagely. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion, 
and duty and skill in the battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. And let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Martha Gale Horn, war correspondent for Colliers, quote, Everyone was violently, violently busy on that crowded, dangerous shore. The pebbles were the size of apples and feet deep, and we stumbled up on a road at a huge road shovel was scooping out. We walked with the utmost care between the narrowly placed white tape lines that marked the mine-cleared path and headed for a tent marked with a red cross. Everyone agreed that the beach was a stinker and that it would be a great pleasure to get the hell out of there sometime. John H. Fenton, uh, number four beach squadron, Royal Air Force, con- uh, constructed this in memory of the landings uh, and the weeks that followed. On 14 July 1944, the French in our locality were able to celebrate Bastille Day for the first time in four years. In the morning, all attired in their best, they went to church. Any Frenchman with a uniform wore it. An ex-naval man holding his little girl by the hand wore his sailor's uniform. The village postmen also wore theirs. The British organized a feat with the Army transport bringing in civilians from nearby villages. A Royal Marines band and a Scottish regiment provided music. There were races for the children, even refreshments. To mock the occasion, practically every truck, jeep, or motorcycle had a spray of red, white, and blue flowers tied on the front. In addition, some had Vive la France and tricolors chalked on the side. A festive air prevailed. Dorothy? American historian Stephen E. Ambrose, in his book, Band of Brothers, E. Company, 506th Regiment, 101st Airborne from Normandy to Hitler's Ingle Eagle's Nest. Lieutenant Welsh remembered walking around among the sleeping men and thinking to himself that they had looked at and smelled death all around them all day but never, ever dreamed of applying the term to themselves. They hadn't come here to fear. They hadn't come here to die. They had come to win. Yes, then we had one from David Teacher, number 71, Royal Air Force Beach Unit, on his experience at D-Day. Jerry started to shell the beach about 9 a.m. Suddenly, all hell let loose. The beach was under fire from shells, mortars, and machine guns. We dived for cover. The sea was covered in blood and vomit, and flies were beginning to arrive by the thousands, which created another nightmare. We continued all night, and the following day, without break, slowly we overcame the nightmares. There was no lack of humor. A soldier came ashore and asked, Is this a private beach? I was I was promised that this was supposed to be a private beach. If not, I'm not staying. And we heard my mother told me not to travel by air. She thought it was too much much safer to travel by sea. And an army officer came ashore. Instead of getting his men off the beach quickly, he stopped to consult his map. I approached him. Sir, off this beach now. And who are you, he asked. Sorry, no time for introductions. <laughs> <clears throat> Ernie Pyle, uh, in a D-Day column, excerpts from Ernie's War, the best of Ernie Pyle's World War II dispatches. All that remained on the beach was some sniping and artillery fire and the occasional startling blast of a mine geysering brown sand into the air. That, plus the bodies of soldiers lying in rows, covered with blankets, the toes of their shoes sticking up in a line as though on drill and other bodies still uncollected, sprawling grotesquely in the sand or half hidden by the high grass beyond the beach. That, plus an intense, grim determination of work-weary men to get this chaotic beach organized and get all the vital supplies and the reinforcements moving more rapidly over it from the stacked-up ships standing in droves just out to sea. Now that it's over, it seems to me a pure miracle that we ever took the beach at all. Jim? Thank you, Dylan. 
George S. Patton's speech to the Third Army was given ahead of the Allied invasion. Quote, war is a bloody killing business. You've got to spill their blood or they will spill yours. Rip them up in the belly. Shoot them in the guts. When shells are hitting all around you, you and you wipe the dirt off your face and realize that instead of dirt, it's blood and guts of what was once your best friend beside you. You know what I you know what I want to do. I don't want to get any messages saying I'm holding my position. We are not holding a goddamn thing. Let the Germans do that. We're advancing constantly. And we're not interested in holding on anything except the enemy's balls. We're gonna twist his balls. The living shit out of him all the time. <laughs> End quote. In closing, we honor these men and women of Eastern Airlines that fought during World War II and the Normandy invasion. John Radford, a veteran of Normandy, composed and sings this song about Normandy. The song was sung by Radford in a 70-year tribute to the invasion at the age of 90. We hope you enjoy the shores of Normandy. Of the 6th of June In the year of 44 The Empire Lots Sailed out from Poe To join with thousands more The largest fleet The world had seen We sailed in close array and we set our course for Normandy at the dawning of the day. There was not one man in all our crew but knew what lay in store. For we had waited for that day through five long years of war. We knew that many would not return But all our hearts were true For we were bound for Normandy Where we had a job to do Now the Empire Lodge Was a deep sea tug With a crew of 33 and I was just a galley boy on my first trip to sea. I little thought when I left home of the dreadful sights I'd see. But I came to manhood on the day that I first saw Norman. At Aramans, off the beach of gold, neath the rocket's deadly glare, we towed our block ships into place, and we built a harbour there. Mid shot and shell, we built it well, as history does agree. While brave men died in the swirling tide, on the shores of Normandy For every hero's name that's known A thousand died as well On stakes and wires their bodies hung Rocked in the ocean swell And many a mother wept that day for the sons they love so well Men who cracked a joke And catch the smoke As they storm the gates of hell As the years pass by I can still recall 
the men I saw that day who died upon that blood-soaked sand where now sweet children play and those of you who were our born who've lived in liberty remember those who made it so on the shores of Normandy Well done by John well Radford That's beautiful. 90 years of age Yeah mm-hmm. Okay uh you guys read your parts well, and Jim, I thought it was Patton standing there reading. <laughs> <laughs> Notice we didn't de- we didn't delete anything because that was the way he was. I know it. I know it. I gave it full effect. Yeah. All right. You did good, Jim. You did good. Carrie, how about starting us off on our show tonight? Okay. The topic of this quote, roundtable discussion is of the existence or non-existence of a pilot shortage in commercial aviation. I would like to pose the following question to our hosts and listeners for their thoughts and comments. The shortage of pilots was one of the biggest concerns in the global aviation industry until the start of this year. However, the impact of coronavirus on the airline industry has turned this deficit into a surplus. With airlines struggling to survive, even experienced pilots are losing their jobs. It is expected that the global airline industry might not recover until at least 2023. If this happens, it might prove to be unfortunate for students who are aspiring to be a pilot in the coming years. Fewer planes mean fewer pilots. Demand for pilots might not exist for the next few years. So... Do you think a young person should consider becoming an airline or commercial pilot with these recent turn of events in the industry? Well, I'll start off and say I think so. I think uh, if uh, if if that's what they want to do, they ought to start uh, doing their flight training, and hopefully the cost of learning to fly is going to be a, uh, a little cheaper because of not as many people out there. Uh, competing for jobs. What's your thoughts, guys, gals? Well, I kind of think that uh, this push-button era and side-stick controls and all that stuff is kind of taking a lot of the glory out of flying. So, But the new generation doesn't know about how it was done in the old days, or they do but have never experienced it. And uh, to me, it's kind of a little bit detrimental. I, I kind of don't even uh, promote aviation. I mean, not aviation, but uh, flying to uh, younger kids anymore because I said pretty soon you'll just be able to fly the airplane from your iPhone at home. But well, there's always the one that, ones that don't want to do it. Well, the only thing that I would add, Neil, is that if someone wants to get their pilot certificates and become eventually become an airline pilot that they should major in something else in college just in the event that things don't work out on the airline pilot front which as we know all of us have been through the good and the bad times and uh, you know right now for the moment at least it's a bad time but of course that could change in the future but it all turned on a dime right here just recently so uh I don't know if you'd want to put all your eggs in that one basket or not. You know, maybe have something in your back pocket to keep just in case it doesn't work out. Well, George, you've always been you've always been in favor of a three-man crew, and then they dropped a two-man crew. Do you suppose this might uh, be the thing that the airlines need, or the manufacturers now need to uh, stress that, that hey, we've got uh, all of this technology that uh, we only need one person sitting up there. Well, I don't know, or perhaps none, to be honest, but the point is I think that the the question would revolve around the fact as to whether or not the traveling public would be willing to accept that. 
I mean, you know, the a lot of the detrimental aspects of the two-man crew were never put forth by the media. So uh, I think a lot would depend upon whether or not uh, with a single pilot operation, if the uh, potential uh, problems with that were, were put out to the traveling public, which would determine whether or not they'd want to get on an airplane with one pilot or not. I know personally speaking, I'd be a little bit leery of it. You know, I mean, most people, I think, would be willing to roll the dice. But, you know, there's been there have been a few incidents, especially recently, since the age uh, retirement age was upped, where, you know, pilots have passed away at, uh, at the controls of the plane. And the co-pilot or the captain who, or vice versa, were uh, the plane was able to land only because there were two pilots up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way I feel also because, as we know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be in your 50s, 60s, or 70s to pass away and have a stroke. And the way that people are living nowadays, um, death may come a lot earlier because they're a little uh, less concerned with the wealth and health of their their bodies. So uh, having no one up there or having just one up there is never a good thing. Well, yeah. I got a from the military pilot viewpoint. I think there's a lot of guys there, Air Force, Navy, Marines, even the Army, uh, reconsidering their decision to perhaps leave the military and go with airlines. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys that are going to end up staying with the military. I agree with that, Jim. I think it's absolutely yeah. correct. They don't get they don't get laid off too often. No, you I've don't. I've been talking uh, with some people that have applied for pilot jobs and they're waiting because the, the competition they say is so stiff now because before they were number one in line. Now they're waiting because there's an abundance of, of pilots. Well, do you think that it's actually going to keep lasting that nobody's going to be able to go on these jobs that need to be, uh, down overseas, and everybody's going to still stay sequestered in their home. I don't see that happening. I, I think uh-huh. that eventually uh, you're going to have to uh, resume business. You can't live on nothing all this time. There are too many that, that won't have jobs, and someone's going to have to do some things. And just like people don't want to go to work in a grocery store when they're so well uh, educated and they have to that may be the case that they're going to have to go back to being a pilot because it may not be the type of position they want to accept elsewhere mm-hmm. sounds okay. like the, there's going to be a, a big demand for uh, ground support uh, as, as opposed to pilots they're going to need a lot uh-huh. of maintenance uh, airport personnel alone it's in the thousands so Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we went to QB's the other night, there was four I was driving over to Peach State Airport, and one of the guys is a Southwest pilot, and the other one is an Endeavor pilot. Uh, Endeavor is owned by Delta, mm-hmm. sort of a feeder airline or whatever, I don't know. And the guy from Southwest said uh, that they're, they're forecasting to be back to full, full service where they were by the end of the year. And I just was astounded to hear that, but he seemed very confident that's what they're going to do. And, and the guy with Endeavor, way. you know, he says that they're they're looking to get going again, too. So, I don't know. Well, they uh, both were extremely optimistic about the future. I don't really think keep the public down forever, and I think they're going to have to start doing something. And if we don't have that free money... Uh, that everybody is uh, getting at the moment, they're going to have to work. They they aren't going to be able to sit back and, and not do something. There's well, I know they've got Southwest has got some tremendous deals, like I guess American Delta, all of them where people are going out for six months or, you know, I don't even know what all they got, but uh, they're getting they're getting everybody as uh, – seems to either going to stay flying or they're going to be paid for flying for a long time and not flying. 
Yeah. Let's move to our next sec uh, section. George, how serious is it? Well, you know, I think uh, personally it's tough, you know, for anyone to predict the future. But, um, you know, I think a lot depends upon the public's perception of whether or not they would be safe from the uh, from the virus if they, to go in an airplane. And I think that's where it lies, all of it. Plus, you know, I mean, Trump likes to tout the unemployment rate, but it's still well over 13 percent, which is a very high amount. So, uh, you know, can that can it rebound quickly or not? I, I wish I had that answer, Neil. Uh, but I looked into my crystal ball, but it didn't it didn't give me an answer. But I do well, know that you're, your reading of the next uh, the next section here might tell us how many <laughs> of the airlines uh, have have put the situation where we have this surplus. Would you read that part, George? Sure. You know, many of the major airlines around the world have been furloughing pilots or announced that they will be furloughing pilots. I say that because here in America that I believe that PPP plan that the federal government put in place uh, allows them to keep all the workers there until the end of September, including the pilots, mm -hmm. albeit at a, uh, a lower guarantee. But like Delta Airlines, Qantas, and Lufthansa have all forecast that their workforce will gradually keep decreasing until a recovery occurs. Similarly, EasyJet had announced that it was instigating a recruitment freeze due to the pandemic impact. Uh, prior to this, flying had been one of the most in-demand professions for the past few years. Airlines have been facing severe pilot shortages at a time when the global airline fleet was in greatly increasing day by day. This generated massive losses as airlines were incapable of maximizing their aircraft utilization, and the airline pilot scarcity had even forced airlines to pay large bonuses to attract more, applica more applicants. In almost a snap of a finger, however, all of that changed. Knowing uh, the present conditions of the airlines and that it may be a wait of several years, to bring about conditions when the airlines again need pilots, I don't know if I would recommend or discourage those wanting to make a career in the profession. I think there are others out there who have various opinions on this, but like I said, if, if it were me, I would definitely, if I, if I had my heart set on flying for an airline, I would still go forward to get my tickets, but maybe major in something else in college just as a backup. Mike, you got yeah. anything to say about that? <laughs> well, I would say it uh, kind of leans back to what I was talking about before. With uh, I kind of agree with uh, having uh, some kind of a backup education somewhere along the line uh, to uh, to uh, capitalize on. But you know, it's a one of those deals where uh, everybody wants this job, but uh, not everybody's going to get it. It's uh, Mm -hmm. So, in lieu of everything that's going on, it's it's kind of a tough uh, tough deal, as we've uh, discussed on, about in the last uh, little segment there. And uh, they, somebody's going to need to do whatever it takes to uh, to put uh, keep the lights on, put food on the table. If the uh, flying doesn't uh, pan out, you got to have a, an alternate. Just like when you when you're flying, you need an alternate when the weather goes bad. Yeah, you know, when I was hired, a friend of mine, that I taught for his instructor rating out at uh, Mary Gaffney's Kendall Flying School at Tamiami Airport, Gene Rosenthal, uh, Gene, uh, Jim, uh, you might, George, you might know Gene, but he was in my class. He was my dentist, and uh, <laughs> uh, he quit a dental practice at uh, uh, to uh, go in the air, to go with me to Seattle to get a job with the Seattle Airlines and get our engineering rate, engineer ratings. But it reminds me of my daughter-in-law. My son taught her, his wife, uh, how to fly. And um, because she's from Finland, she might be listening tonight. Uh, she's listened before over in Finland. I've identified Finland uh, on my uh, on my statistics. Uh, in my back office, you might call it. So, uh, Petra, if you're listening, this is for you. She was hired by Sky West, and uh, 
and she was only there with them for about two months, and she truly loved flying. But before that, she got her master's degree in marine biology and then went up to uh, the um, University of California and got her uh, veterinarian doctorate degree and, and practiced a couple of years. So I am so glad now that she has all of that to fall back on should she not be able to get her job back. And, um, but uh, she's, yeah. uh, she enjoyed being a student, and, but she really loves flying. She gave up veterinary medicine to come back, and she got a job with SkyWest, and, and they're holding the job. Her mother just died recently, so she's over in Finland, and um, hopefully uh, she'll be coming back here very soon and continuing with SkyWest. Yeah, Neil, I can continue on with this uh, segment that I was going to read here. Go ahead. Want. Yeah, flying is a dream profession for millions of people worldwide. The incentives and perks related to this profession have for a long time established its status as one of the best jobs in the world. It is really a high-paying and at the same time a really fun job, too. However, it can only be achieved if you have lots of money. Pilot training in, is short but very expensive. It requires a lot of financial investment for various licenses, specifically private pilot license, PPL, commercial pilot's license, CPL, and aircraft type rating, which sometimes requires a, an ATP, air transport license. For example, an 18-month-long training can cost a prospective student over $100,000. The current situation has put a lot of stress on the students where they were planning to become a pilot within the next few years. It is improbable that the passenger demand will recover in the next two years. Even if it does, it will be gradual, minimized, and the airlines will only want to hire those pilots to have more experience. Consequently, cadet pilots and their other aspiring students may have to think about an alternate career like what we were talking about. What other career paths should those wanting to be in aviation consider? Uh, like I said before, kind of joking a little bit, you could go into the aircraft scrapping business. You could become a hairdresser, a stand-up comedian, <laughs> or like you said, an Uber driver. <laughs> Anybody else got oh. thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. No, but there are a lot of different positions in aviation that one could hold as well. Um, you're right there, you know, with the scrapping or if you're finding parts for airlines or aircraft uh, so you can you can be a pilot and, and sell parts at the same time. This is correct. I've done that myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started working for a company that sells landing gear, um, lights, toilet seats, flaps. I, I know no, nothing about that. I just pass it on. But it's good money. <laughs> Yeah, those toilet seats, they make good, uh, what do you call them, picture frames. <laughs> Power boxes. I was waiting for something. Yeah. I was waiting for you, Mike. Sure as hell, I was waiting for you. Oh, God. Well, if they want to be in aviation, I imagine the Army, Navy, and Air Force and Marines will be willing to talk to them. Yep, I agree with that, too. Yeah. And they, they don't have to worry about people stealing their pensions or, uh, you know, going on strike Mm -hmm. or anything like that either. So uh, Mm -hmm. I I know several, several friends of my uh, children who originally went into the service with the idea to get out and become airline pilots after their hitch was up, but none of them got out. They said, why should I? I don't don't need the aggravation. You know, you and I, we went through, we went through probably the worst years. And, uh, you know, people look at that and say, Whoa, hold it. I don't need to do that. Do you have to be a pilot to be a drone pilot? Well, you get wings, but I don't think they mean much to me. But I tell you, there's a lot of guys Mm -hmm. that got out and, you know, went to the bottom of the seniority list, especially some of these, uh, like Endeavor and other smaller airlines, you know. And now they're wishing they were back, you know, they were colonels or majors and all that kind of stuff. Maybe not colonels. But uh, they made the decision to get out, and now they may be in a heap of trouble, boy. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Not, you got anything further that. done? <laughs> I have a, a, a good friend who's a, uh, a captain with one of the uh, United Commuter Airlines and, uh, you know, small jets. And what's happening now is that the mainline pilots, because the demand isn't there, the, the airlines are parking the bigger airplanes. They want to bump these people out of the smaller jets and, and have the mainland people mainline people fly the smaller jets. I mean, it just, I don't know, it's like never-ending, you know? Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what ALPA does, especially if both uh, both carriers are represented by ALPA, but I think we know the answer to that already. Well, well although this uh, situation is bleak, there are a few positive signs. The average pilot age in various countries, like the United States, is relatively high. It is expected that almost 5,000 pilots in the U.S. will retire in the next two years. Younger pilots might then be able to fill the vacancy and hope for a positive change in the industry. That's our program. Good note to end it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad I flew for Eastern when I did. I think we flew in the great, greatest time in aviation, uh, in the business of commercial flying, uh, Jim and uh, Mike and uh, George. I think we, we, at least that's the way I feel. It's a a great profession because... I've had many, many people ask me what I what I did for a living, just sitting around out of idle conversation. And usually I will tell them, I says I didn't do anything. I <laughs> says I've my whole career, uh, whether it be in maintenance or in flying, I says somebody was always paying me to do what I like to do. So basically, I never had to work a day in my life. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. Neil. I. I I went through a lot, and I know that Jim did also. I don't agree. I think you, Neil, you had the best years, but I don't. I don't agree that uh, that I did. Uh, you know, I had to leave Eastern after 18 years, and then after, and then they declared bankruptcy, and then the same thing happened at the second carrier I went to, and it was not not very pleasant at all. It was very difficult on a lot of fronts. You're right, George. I was in the good numbers. Uh, my number on the seniority list uh, kept me flying uh, throughout. I never took a uh, uh, a furlough uh, that I can mm-hmm. recall. Uh, we went out yeah. and we were out because of uh, uh, strikes and that type of thing, but uh, I was never furloughed where just a couple of hundred numbers below me, um, you know, those those guys were out for a long time. You recall that, Jim. No, I wasn't that far below you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had the same experience, and, of course, I was one of the lucky guys that got to go over to American Friends there and finished up my career at age 60 there and yeah. had a life, life, life parties and the whole kit and caboodle. But I know yeah. I was one of the lucky guys in the left seat of a 727. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, about a hundred ended up there at ATA. Pilots too though, they weren't the only ones that used to have strikes and be out. There was many occupations that were. So it's kind of a common thing whether it's being a pilot or uh being a technician or uh being in a grocery store. Uh, there are all pluses with the jobs and all minuses, and you just don't know at any given time uh, what you're going to be in to. Yeah, but Dorothy, the, the, the big negative for the pilots was when Loren, people like Lorenzo, when people took over, they never got their pension. They worked for many years yeah, to, and earned a pension, true. and they didn't get it. And yeah, you got yeah, it. I, right. I, Mm-hmm. I can't find any justification whatsoever for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Tight thing. But, again, like I said, it's not just the pilots that have that issue. I mean, I was in with a company, two to three, and we had many things that came up, and one being 9-11, and 
followed back to 2009 when uh, I, everything went downhill and the loss, the loss, the loss. Fortunately, in those, I was the last one to leave the door, but many more before me left. So, as I said, it, it's not just a pilot. It's many different occupations. It just seems mm-hmm. right now that because of all those pilot planes and uh, all the airlines having everything sit all over the, the tarmac and go nowhere and do nothing, it's, it's all of us in the whole country uh, are beside ourselves thinking where it's all going to go. Uh, I understand that Boeing, Boeing stock has gone up today. Does anyone know mm-hmm. anything about that? Well, yeah. for whatever reason. Well, the, uh, the, the Boeing has gotten very hardball, and so they cleaned up uh, some orders on the 777X and um, have sold quite a few of those on the 787, and they won their court case against the, um, the, the Russian airline because they refused to sell them the aircraft and had plants that were going to buy them now. And the, the Russian aircraft has said, well, go ahead and sell them. So Boeing did sell them. And now Boeing has a lot of orders for the 777X, and one too many sevens, and the 787. And so that's why their stock is going up. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear that. Yeah. And Airbus may have shot themselves in the foot because Airbus – threatened its clients, one of the biggest, Emirates, and Emirates has come out and said, well, we might not just buy from you anymore. And Boeing's been quiet this whole time. (laughs) Mm. Well, that ought to cut a big hole in their spinnaker. Yeah. (laughs) Because Emirates has a lot of money to spend. (laughs) Well, Mark, what's happening on the Eastern Front, uh, the New Eastern well, as we all know, New York has been growing, and uh, John F. Kennedy, and uh, the, they have nonstop flights, of course, uh, that are going to be going to California and Mexico, and um, Guayaquil starts up again in uh, July, and everything, and that's good, but as of today, Miami has become the second hub. That's good. So the flight mm-hmm. is coming in from Guayaquil to Miami. So we'll have a, a New York, Guayaquil, Guayaquil, Ecuador, right? Uh, Miami and vice. So, so now the that's been waiting for a long time, the Miami hub is going to begin to grow, and the flights to Haiti are going to continue, and the flights further south that haven't been announced yet are going to be moving into Miami. So Miami, by the end of the year, should be probably having just as many flights. The the thing that has changed is that Delta will probably pull out of Barcelona, Alicante, Athens, um, Crete, um, Berlin. Am I missing anything? And I found a really good secondary airport uh, that used to be a SAC command base right next to Madrid that no one flies out of. But a civil and a military. And uh, well, so I I see I see the two seven sevens being in John F. Kennedy with destinations over to Europe. Hey Mark, Mark, uh, go ahead, yeah. uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, Mark, uh, who uh, yeah. who uh, if I if we haven't mentioned this before, it escapes me now. Uh, uh, at Kennedy and in Miami. Uh, who, what gates, and or what airline actually uh, handles uh, them? Uh, at ter- terminal, terminal four at John F. Kennedy, and that's you know it's a really long terminal. And, yeah. Um, it can. I was looking at it, and it can. If you look at terminal four in the aerial view, it can nicely handle those seven, 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 six, seven right beside each other. Um, so, and I'm not sure who's handling them, but that does bring up a point, Eastern is having uh, a lot of trouble with their uh, people they've hired overseas in stealing things out of luggage. So, and they haven't been able to put a stop to that. And you see people on the internet in English and Spanish begging Eastern to please 
watch their luggage because things are missing all the time. And that tells me that Eastern really needs to begin to hire some of their own people to even if it's just manage it so that they're out there watching the luggage so it doesn't get stolen. These poor people. You can offer free luggage, but if your luggage is missing half the stuff, right. then they'll want to take it on board. Well, did you see their advertising, too, that they just put out, uh, Mark? Uh, they sent it to me. I've been getting their emails, and uh, their advertising has beefed up. In fact, they're saying that if you're, uh, you know, their regular service is starting up June 12th, and mm-hmm. if you want to go from Guayaquil to New York City, no problem, JFK. But mm-hmm. in case you uh, don't want to... Uh, head toward New York with all that's going on. We fly twice a week to Miami. So I now they're right. I think that was excellent. Good and advertising. Saying, yeah. Right, and then they're but, saying uh, uh, we're proud. We're earning our wings every day, and uh, with this oh, con- uh, COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. they're going to be uh, up uh, buffing up their flying passengers home. And after launching a new airline, and they're they're going to add on more areas, and mm-hmm. their sure. their website looks much much better because when you click on their website now, they have uh, a uh, app that comes up and says uh, since March 13th, blah blah blah, and so they're they're really doing a little better now. You have things that are uh, pointing all the, the flights that they were with, with all of the people in masks, and they're really doing a better job of it. So I think that's mm-hmm. yeah, they, uh, in they, their favor, showing the eastern they, plane yeah. with big white and blue letters. So yeah. very they're nice. Getting, they're getting Mark, they're talking to people. Because, Mark, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Mark, go ahead. I was just going to say on a side note, uh, I, I buy a lot of stuff on eBay, Eastern Airlines, and other things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I noticed that on the Eastern Airlines eBay, uh, somebody is selling the uh, the new Eastern uh, seven sixty seven two hundred and seven sixty seven three hundred safety cards for thirty dollars a piece on there. So somebody's stealing them and selling them. <laughs> oh my I think. god! Oh huh. goodness! And that, huh? That's terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, that when you don't have your it's, – it's hard enough when you have your own people and there's some stealing going on. But when they're not your people, they have no regard for that airline. Um, and I've been talking with people and because I, I like the fact, Dorothy, that you can fly from Miami to Guayaquil and Guayaquil I to Miami. Too. But do you, But do you realize that from Miami – there are no flights to Guayaquil? Well, they said huh. they were adding on two more planes. Yeah, but I mean, they, they have flights coming from Guayaquil to Miami, but they announced it, but they didn't they didn't put in the days. So it's better they not to announce it than to throw up a calendar and the, the days, July, August, September, are completely empty. But uh-huh. coming from Guayaquil to Miami, so that's where I'm having a hard time with Eastern, and I'm saying... You guys, you know, I mean, Steve's doing a great job, and a lot of the management is. But if the website people can't get their act together quickly, they're hurting Eastern. I, I said this last week. And, um, you know, it, it's very easy to take a look if you're not qualified to do it. Take a look at other airline sites, because I'm not a web guy. But you look at other ones, and you pull off the back. And as, as Neil Mark. has always said, People don't know these countries, these cities. You have to say the country. He's correct. Mark, do you suppose they'll ever set up an office in Miami, you know, where Weagle and his crew operated uh, out of that building? Mm-hmm. I do. I got what it was. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think it's, it's going to be New York, Miami, Houston in that category, and then LAX. But, um, uh-huh. um, uh, I could be wrong. It could be Dallas. 
but that triangle, and that triangle is a good, you know, it's always when you have a triangle, like Southwest did, except this would be a bigger triangle, but of course, uh, Eastern has seven six sevens, and so if you can fly your jets in a triangle, then um, that it's, it would be perfect for hook, hooking up two destinations in Central America, South America, and the Caribbean, all three of those airports. Well, see what it's like on the June 12th when they're opening up. See if you see anything different for our next announcement, Mark. So you, I would be curious to, to hear it. Well, I, I, I pointed some things out very strongly today because, you know, I mean, we're noticing these things quickly, though. See, a, lot, a lot of other people aren't, don't even know what Eastern Airlines is. But if they get to book it, you may only have that. I have a website. So you may only have um, 10 or 20 seconds of their time on their on your website. So if you don't grab their attention in those 10 or 20 seconds, I mean, you only have so, so many few destinations. I would put Miami, big, <laughs> New York, big. And I would put the United States of America and the airports you serve in New York, California, Texas, um, Florida, and then overseas, international destination. And then you put, like Neil says, Ecuador. And then you put the city you serve, Guayaquil. And then you put Diana. You put the city you serve, Georgetown. And the same if you're going to Europe or anything, because that, that's how Southwest has it. I mean, Southwest um, JetBlue has it. And it's clear as a bell. If you all look at that site, you will be amazed how clear it is to people. Hey, Mark, if you ever mm-hmm. come in contact with one of their pilot management pilots, you know, chief pilot or manager of flying, and if you can get their attention to uh, ask them if they could come on our show and talk a little bit about it. We had people with a 2.0 version like Mark. Uh, what was his last name, Mark Harmon? Harden. Yeah. Right. And Mark He's would uh, tell hard. us, yeah, he'd keep us informed. Okay. Boy, it'd be great if we could have someone like that along I mean, with you. Every, every week you have an Eastern Airlines pilot listening to the show. Yeah. Every week. Yeah, um, yeah. They tell me afterwards. That's great. Well, that's you know, there's a good show, not stuff like this. I think, I think we really have to work at getting the three top in management on the show first, then that might free up the pilot yeah. from making from thinking they could say something without in fear of, uh, right. of yeah. repercussion. Revealing plans that uh, are not yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Work, work on that. Okay. That would be yeah. great. That would be really great. Okay. Yeah. Good show tonight, guys. Dorothy, what do you got for us as far as new members or any announcements or Yes, uh, John, the next time you read, you'll be able to say we have 1,044 members. We have a new gentleman, uh, Richard Esnock, who joined us on June 4th, and uh, we welcome Richard to our membership. And uh, we had uh, another gal that sent from Les Morris, uh, another a guy, I should say, Les Morris, a $100 donation, and this gentleman is 93 years young now, living out of, uh, a young member out of JFK, but living in Tucson, Arizona. Now, this gentleman uh, joined our membership back in 2010, so we thank you very much for his donation. We really appreciate it, as well as, of course, our Retired Eastern Pilots Association. We want to always thank them for their generosity, and we, uh, we want people to know that all of these folks that donate uh, are listed up on our website, and of course, Reaper is up there on top. Platinum Falcon sponsor, and uh, we have uh, we'll put uh, Les Morris up there tomorrow and get him up on our uh, list of uh, membership. Uh, so anyone that uh, is looking for uh, to share their money with us, we would be happy for a to be a sponsor to help us keep our radio voice of Eastern Airlines going strong across the airways of our wonderful planet Earth. 
That's right. We're heard in many countries now across the globe. And when you send in your donation of $40, you'll receive a signed copy of Neil's book, Wings of Many. It's a fun read by Eastern people back in those days of Eastern air transport to the wings of man and America's favorite way to fly. Any correspondence, of course, and donations can be sent to Captain Neil Holland, made out to the EAL radio show, 9776 San Jose Boulevard, Suite 12B in Jacksonville, Florida, 32257. Why not be a sponsor by sending your donation to keep the radio voice of Eastern Airlines alive and well into 2021? Uh, We have some great shows that are upcoming on the uh, Monday night show. Um, Next week we have uh, the Eastern Music and History, the theme music of the 80s. And then, of course, on Thursdays, don't forget, we have... um, Neil presenting the EAL REPA episode, and uh, this week we will be at episode 13 already. Uh, Neil, you've come a long way, and it's been great listening to you. Love to hear all those letters and stories that you read. And then uh, following uh, after that on our Monday night show, we're going to have our dreams, good and bad, and then coming down the line will be Eastern music, come fly with me. So come along, folks, every Monday and Thursday, and share your time with us. We'd love to have you. Uh, back to you, Neil. Okay, Jim, uh, it's time to bring it in. Okay. Tower, Tower, this is Eastern 461. We have the airport site. If traffic permits, we'd like runway 27 right. That's to the west. Roger, Eastern 461. We got you in sight. The wind is 260, 10 knots. No reported traffic. You're clear to land, runway 27 right. Is that you, Hop? No, no, no. We got Sky King in the left seat tonight, and we're coming on in. <laughs> Give us some landing room. Clear the runway. Here we go. Sky King Glory. 